It is a wet, rainy Friday afternoon here on the west coast of Florida. My name is Joel Tillis. You're in the Soul Trap. We trust that this broadcast finds you in good health, good spirits, and on that good and narrow way, one step closer to Christmas, one step closer to the new year, and as always, we are one step closer to the return of the Lord. It is always a blessing to be able to come and share our thoughts and ideas with you, and we always enjoy to hear your thoughts and your ideas. Make sure to touch base with us. You can email us. You can find the Soul Trap on Facebook, and make sure you share it with people that you think might find the Soul Trap interesting or at the least challenging. You know, I wasn't always crazy. <laughs> There was a time when uh, I had a firm grasp that up was up and down was down and apple pie and fireworks and uh, Superman and the American way and all of that was exactly as it is. And I think, I guess, to some degree it still is. But at some point along the way, through a series of, I guess, maybe mosaic discoveries, I have come, like many of you, to see that there is a world behind the world. There is a view, not to be uh, somewhat uh, Platonian in, in the thought, but there is a there is a shadow behind the substance with which you and I deal with. We know that as Bible believers. We've always known that. And yet, I don't know, somehow, some way, growing up and being exposed to the Bible, there was a heavy materialistic, not a materialistic humanism, but a materialistic tent to a very spiritual book. When you open up the Bible, in the beginning, God literally thrusts you into a world that is alter-dimensional. The spirit world is another dimension, and yet it is real. And when you read the last chapter of the last book and the last verse and put it down, you have ended with a promise and information about another world, a dimension that is there. I suppose for the longest time that has been... Um, relegated to the heap of foolishness and silliness and conspiratorial theories. But in reality, I think more and more, as science and paranormal discovery seem to converge on the horizon, the moment of singularity certainly is coming down the road. And we find that more and more, the spirit world and the other dimension is real, palpable, and I think one of the areas that we've discussed very often in the Soul Trap is the area of the unidentified flying object, unidentified biological entities, the abduction phenomenon. I often get asked, both in interviews and in person, if I believe in, you know, they'll say it kind of almost surreptitiously, most of the time jerk, jokingly and occasionally sardonically, They'll ask, do you believe in little green men, life on other planets? And you have to be careful about how you answer that. What do you mean by, do I believe in little green men? And what do I mean by life on other planets? Is there life in other parts of the universe? Obviously so. The Bible tells us that. Are there multi-dimensions? Obviously so. The Bible tells us that. Do I believe in little green men? Well, it depends on what you mean. There is abduction case after abduction case after abduction case information where people are encountering what you and I so uh, glibly call little green men. 
If by little green men, do I mean Hollywood-like Independence Day, Will Ferrell kind of a green man? No. But if by little green men, you mean a manifestation of the powers of darkness, a manifestation of the darkness on the other side of the dimensional veil, then yes, people are experiencing something. And along this journey several years ago of discovery and insight and research, I came across a fellow by the name of Jacques Vallée. He's French, so I may be pronouncing it wrong, but I believe I've read just about every book that he has. And there are two books that are profoundly, profoundly vital, if you're interested in the subject, that you own and read. The first one is called Messengers of Deception, UFO Contacts and Cults. Now, if you've never seen the movie, the, the 80s movie, First Encounters of a Third Kind, I highly recommend that you watch that movie. There is actually in the movie a French scientist character that is based off of this man by the name of Jacques Vallée. There's a very interesting encounter at the very end, and I tend to believe that if you'll go back and watch that movie some almost three decades now away from us, I think what you might be watching is something that has its roots, not just in fantasy and sci-fi, but possibly in a biographical historical depiction of something that might have happened. Jacques Vallée has written a very profound book called, as I just mentioned, The Messengers of Deception. And while we're not going to cover the details of that, it is very interesting that he moves away from the mechanical, uh, interstellar sort of a concept. He talks about a section here of why UFOs are important. And I'm not going to read the whole thing, but he says, basically, and I'm quoting him here, I propose that the UFO we see is, among other things, a device which creates a distortion of the witness's reality, that it does so for a purpose which is to project images or fabricated scenes designed to change our belief system, and that the technology we observe is only the incidental support for a worldwide enterprise of subliminal education and seduction. He goes on to state, I believe there is a machinery of mass manipulation behind the UFO phenomenon. It aims at social and political goals by diverting attention from some human problems and by providing a potential release for tensions caused by others. The contactees are a part of that machinery. They are helping to create a new form, and here's the word again, of belief, an expectation of actual contact among large parts of the public. In turn, this expectation makes millions of people hope for the imminent realization of that age-old dream, salvation from above, surrender to the greater power of some wise navigators of the cosmos. Not a Christian, not a Bible believer, and yet you could almost take what he just wrote and superimpose that over the book of Revelation, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and several of the passages of the New Testament. When we are talking about the UFO phenomenon and all of its many subcategories, 
I believe behind the obvious explanation of military high technology, behind the obvious explanation of simply misidentifying the normal, behind the explanation of a psychological um, predetermined outcome of what you're seeing, which can happen to those, I think behind it all, there is a strong element, much stronger than we realize, of the powers of darkness, of the spiritual world. And let me say, hasten to say, not simply just the powers of darkness. There was war in heaven in the book of Daniel, not just with the powers of darkness, but with the angelic messengers of God. Now, Valet also authored a second book with a man by the name of Chris Albuck. And if you get Messengers of Deception, you must get this second book, Wonders in the Sky, Unexplained Aerial Objects from Antiquity to Modern Times. And what you'll find is a stunning, shockingly accurate connection down through the ages that there is something going on in the skies above us far, far more than we are aware of or that we can fully grasp and understand. Let me simply read the back cover for you. In the past century, individuals, newspapers, and military agencies have recorded thousands of UFO incidents, giving rise to much speculation about flying saucers, visitors from other planets, and alien abductions. Yet, the phenomenon did not begin in the present era. Far from it. The authors of Wonders in the Sky reveal a thread of vividly rendered and sometimes strikingly similar reports of mysterious aerial phenomenon from antiquity through the modern age. These accounts often share definite physical features, such as the heat described by witnesses that have changed little over the centuries. Indeed, such similarities between ancient and modern sightings are the rule rather than the exception. In Wonders in the Sky, respected researchers Jacques Vallée and Chris Albach examined more than 500 selected reports of sightings from biblical age antiquity through the year 1879, the point at which the Industrial Revolution deeply changed the nature of human society and the skies begin to open to airplanes, rockets, and other opportunities for misinterpretation represented by military prototypes. Using vivid and engaging case studies and more than 75 illustrations, Vallée and Abach elucidate that unexplained aerial objects had a major impact, not only on popular culture, but on our history, on our religion, and on the model of the world humanity has formed from deepest antiquity. Let me give you a little teaser, page 48 of a aerial incident that is recorded in history that few are aware of. On May 21st, AD 70, Jerusalem, Flavius Josephus writes, quote, On the one and twentieth day of the month Artemisius, a certain prodigious and incredible phenomenon appeared. I suppose the account of it would seem to be a fable were it not related by those that saw it, and were not the events that followed it of so considerable a nature as deserve such signals. For before sunsetting, chariots and troops of soldiers in their army, armor, were seen running about among the clouds and surrounding cities. 
What he was saying is that on the eve of the fall of Jerusalem, they didn't just witness soldiers on the ground. It appeared as if they witnessed soldiers in an aerial battle above the skies of Jerusalem. Well, taken on its own, could that be misconstrued? Absolutely. Could it be old world fantasy, pre-industrial revolution lore? Absolutely. But when taken in light of the Bible and the book of Daniel, the book of Ephesians, the book of Revelation, is it so far-fetched to imagine that there was a war over the city of Jerusalem, not only through Titus the general, but in the airs above? What goes on in the air above us? While we grovel, while we rarely look up, while we scan Facebook for some new like or some new post, while we go through our day-to-day with our heads always facing down, we have to ask ourselves, what is going on in the air? You know, that's where all events are leading to. We are to look up because our Savior is coming to the air. Satan is the prince of the power of the air. What goes on above our heads when we wake, when we sleep, when we are glued to that iPhone screen in front of us? Well, along those lines, there is a great little article on Paranoia.com I want to share with you. The article says, History is replete with stories of lost magical cities. Stories such as the lost city of Z, which claimed the life of legendary explorer Percy Fawcett and his son, or the lost city of High Brazil, a technology-advanced phantom island which was known by early mariners to occasionally appear in the Atlantic, the crystalline towers of its main city jutting up off the horizon, and let us not forget Atlantis, Lemuria, and even Hyperborea, all mythical islands lost to time or natural disaster, even Shambhala and Agathar, which were lost in the snows of the Himalayas. But there are still other lesser-known but equally as fascinating lost cities which appear to stand the test of time. The commonality of them all? They all seem to have some sort of amazing high technology and also appear to be phantoms. It is one of those fabled cities which we will now explore the article states. A city of true amazement. A technological wonderland. And a city without a name which apparently has remained hidden for almost... A century. For more than 30 years, there has been a persistent rumor, a rumor which has not been widely reported but is fascinating nonetheless. This nameless city, buried deep within the Andes Mountains and connected with the skies above, was founded by none other than Marconi and his protégés. Powered by Tesla technology and hidden from the world. Let me divert here for just a second to say this also sounds very much like a theme to some degree of Atlas Shrugged. The story as it now exists was originally discussed in a book called The Mysteries of the Andes by Robert Sherrard and published in 1974. It was later translated from French and published by Avon Books in 1977. Sharor, a world-class Fortean adventurer, had gone south, gone to South America in search of a hidden codex called the ICA Codex, 
which purported to show a lost human civilization millions of years old, as well as lost underground tunnels and cities connected with the skies above. Marconi, the son of a wealthy Italian family, had started working on radio technology with Tesla and pioneered radio communication. Now, anyone who has listened, and I digress here from the article to say that anyone who has listened to the Soul Trap for any length of time should know that both Tesla and Marconi are familiar names when it comes to touching base with the skies, with radio waves, and with those things that brush up against the veil. The article states that in 1896, Marconi, he broadcast a transmission nine miles across the Bristol Channel, and by 1899 was sending transmissions across the English Channel some 30 miles from his transmitter. In 1901, after improving his transmission equipment, he broadcast a transmission from Cornwall, England to St. John's, Newfoundland, Canada. In 1909, Marconi, along with Carl Braun, was awarded the Nobel Prize for Physics. By the 1930s, Marconi and his student, Landini, were working on anti-gravity. In fact, Marconi, who by this time was a millionaire many times over, converted his yacht called the Electra into a floating super lab where they successfully sent signals through the earth, much in the way Tesla did. In June of 1936, Marconi made another leap forward and demonstrated an energy wave cannon for Benito Mussolini on a busy Ostratata outside of Milan. Apparently, according to the story, at least Mussolini had asked his wife Rachel, Rachel, but be at the motorway to be at the motorway precisely at 3:30 p.m. Marconi triggered the device, and for over 30 minutes, every car suffered a complete electrical failure. At precisely 3:35 p.m., Marconi switched the device off, and the car, including his wife's, started up. Mussolini was said to have been quite pleased with the result and began to move toward the notion of weaponizing it. This displeased Pope Pius XI, who is said to have taken an interest in the device and was able to prevent further research. Of course, wherever you look, and again I digress, wherever you look, you always tend to find Jesuits popping up, don't you? Fearing repercussions from the Vatican, Marconi then faked his own death, it was reported, and then sailed his yacht to South America sometime in 1937. It is believed that Marconi took some of the brightest minds in Italian research when he left, including Falconali and Landini. The total count was about 98 total scientists who disappeared. Their ultimate destination was said to have been in the southern jungles of Venezuela, where they set up a technological utopia complete with free energy motors, Tesla, uh, technology, and even a new kind of aircraft, which used a form of anti-gravity. Marconi and Landini were said to have been perfected. It was in that secret city the scientists are said to have perfected many of the free energy and Tesla technologies which we read about today, and many believe to be only lore. They are also said to have dedicated themselves to the peaceful application of these technologies and remained isolated from the rest of society even to this day, working in the shadows to provide new and updated ecologically friendly technology. The world passed them by. The story first came to light in the book The Mysteries of the Andes 
In the book, he, the author Robert Chereau, discussed having heard the story of the Suidad Subterranea de la Andeles from a Mexican journalist named Marijo Rojos Avendaro, who had heard about the city from the Caracas to the Santiago, which eventually prompted Avendaro to investigate the story further. Avendaro claimed that most of the detailed information of the secret city had come from a man named Naiso Genovese, who had contacted him about his research in the city. Genovese had been a student of Marconi and had spent time with him in the city. At the time he contacted Avendaro, Genovese was working as a physicist teacher at a school in Baja, California. Genovese claimed to have spent a number of years working in the city and even published an account of alleged trip to Mars, you heard it, using a Tesla Marconi-powered flying saucer. In the 1950s, he wrote about the trip in a very rare and frankly odd book entitled My Trip to Mars, a book which, although it was never published in English, did come out in numerous other languages. In discussing the city of Abandaro, Genovese claimed that it had been built with Marconi's fortune. Marconi, before his death, had shifted large amounts of his fortune into secret accounts which he accessed to acquire the materials that he needed. Genovese also claimed that by 1946, the scientist had built a massive cosmic energy collector based on Marconi's improvement of Tesla's original designs. He also went into some detail about the massive and amazing research facilities they had constructed, saying it was probably the greatest laboratory ever built on the planet. By 1952, Genovese claimed that they had constructed a new type of aircraft with an almost limitless supply of energy, and scientists had used it to explore almost the entire globe, including the oceans. The craft was said to be able to accelerate up to 500,000 miles per hour and was built out of a new alloy which could withstand enormous pressures of the deep ocean, as well as traveling through the atmosphere at an extremely high rate of speed. The only problem, he said, was the device... Uh, the only problem, he said, the device had was acceleration. It was something that the scientists were still working on. The implication was that the device was also capable of stellar and possibly interstellar travel. And it had also been used to visit various planets in the solar system. We know from Genovese that he claimed regular trips were being made to the moon and to Mars. Again, the implication being that an outpost could have possibly been set up at one or both of these locations. Abendaro then pressed Genovese for the location of the secret city. Genovese responded by saying that it was located at the bottom of a crater, was mostly underground, and was at almost 13,000 feet above sea level. It is believed that the city is located in an extinct volcano in the eastern Andean Cordillera, somewhere in the Bolivian or Venezuela mountains touching the sky. That seems to be where the story ended, and no further investigation heretofore has been made. Some researchers have hypothesized that Tesla, having been contacted by Marconi, faked his death and also traveled to the magical city. But it is a hidden, high-tech city, and is that really feasible? Given the region where the city is supposedly hidden, and the sheer size and vastness of the unexplored land in that region, 
it's possible, it's plausible such a city could exist. Especially, some claim, if that scientists there had perfected free energy and anti-gravity. With those two technological leaps, there is really no limit to what they could have achieved. Is this Suidad Subterranea de los Andales, or an underground city of Andales, real? The writer of the article states, we will probably never know for sure, but it does remain one of the more mysterious and enigmatic hidden cities of legend. If it is real, there was certainly the brain power required to make such stunning technological advancements, but for now it will have to remain a lost city, a lost contact, a lost touch, touching point between the skies and the earth. What's going on in the skies above us? What's going on at these mountain peaks? Why is it that man has always sought to climb to the highest point? Is there a secret base? Is there a mythical Atlantis shrugged? Where some of the greatest minds in the world have figured out a way to breach the doorway between ours and the next. It's interesting to think about. And speaking of mountains, how much do they play a role in our own Lord and Savior's experience? The Mount of Olives. And where was it that the dimension of this world and the next were to merge? The Mount of Transfiguration. Yes, something indeed is going on above us. It would behoove us to put down the ceaseless post of Facebook and to lift up our eyes, for indeed our redemption draweth nigh.